The views expressed on The Pickleball Show are not necessarily those of the USAPA. The Pickleball Show is the official podcast of the USAPA dedicated to growing the sport of pickleball around the country. Show your support and become a USAPA member today. Visit USAPA.org. From Bainbridge Island to the Villages. Pickleball is one of the fastest growing sports in America. Buckeye to Abbotsford. Time out, baby, yeah! St. George to Rochester and all points in between. If you've heard of pickleball or you already play it, then you know. This is the Pickleball Show. This is Prem Carno, author of Smart Pickleball. And here's the host of The Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. Live from the PBX Club Studios in Asheville, North Carolina, it's The Pickleball Show. I am your host, Chris Allen, joined today by co-host from Portland, Maine, Linda Einsiedler. Hey, Linda, how are you doing today? Hey, Chris. Greetings from Maine. How are things going up there? Is it uh, spring sprung yet? Uh, It's getting there, I tell you. um, After coming back from Naples, we were freezing here for the first (laughs) week or so before we got used to our climate again. That's a big adjustment to go from Maine. I know when my, we talked to Mark Rennison, uh, he said when, when he left Collingwood, yeah. Ontario, Canada, he said there was still snow on the ground and then to go down for the U.S. <laughs> Open, that's a huge adjustment. He, he was wise to get there a few days early to acclimate. Right. We're continuing our conversation this week with Robert and Jody Elliott from the Villages, Florida. Some people call them the first family of pickleball because they've certainly developed the ultimate pickleball lifestyle, I think. You live in the village Villages, two of the top players. You've got two kids that are up and coming players and just great people to be around. You've got a uh, business now, engagepickleball.com, and then also just traveling around and doing different clinics and uh, teaching people around the country. How do you work your travel schedule? Is that something that uh, you have to plan out way in advance or do you just grab the kids one day and say, hey, we're, we're heading out, we're going to wherever? Well, it does take some planning. Um- um, we used to be pretty good at uh, leaving uh, like five o'clock the night before, you know, we heading out, but then, then we kind of got really busy with the, the company and now we leave around midnight <laughs> <laughs> and hope we get there on time, wherever it is we're going. Yeah, I think lately it's it's hopeful we leave by midnight lately. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a lot of fun. Our kids are so into pickleball. When we drive somewhere, if we have to drive like 10, 15, 17 hours, the kids are so good and we can talk pickleball up and down. It's just a lot of fun. Fun. Yeah, and they and they love going in the RVs. We're not in it within two three weeks. Everyone's kind of itching to when's the next trip when we when we going somewhere because we just love being together as a family in it. Now, one of the things that uh, I've heard people talk about, and uh, I mentioned Mark Rennison earlier, and he's talked about this too that he was blown away at the Nationals. He was watching all the top players play, and he said it was just amazing the players that could just rip it and keep it in. And um, when I saw you play, Robert, at the uh, the South Atlantic regionals not this past year but the year before when it was in concord north carolina man i don't know if it was just being there in person but i don't think i've ever seen anybody who could rip it and keep it in like you can and so whenever i hear somebody say that i always think of you what's the trick what's the secret i don't know if that's the right word to just being able to wail on the ball but still being able to keep it in well i have to give one plug it has to be because of the encore paddle but i had to throw that in there It it is true. That does help. But the biggest thing to keep the ball in is staying down. So 
there's a couple things. Is one, you, you need to make sure you swing properly, which is a, a low to high swing style, which is common for tennis players. Uh, you also want to have your, your paddle face closed slightly, and you really want to ensure you keep your wrist back. A lot of people flick their wrists when they hit the shot. But you really want to keep your wrist back so you stay on the ball longer. You, you keep the paddle face facing the target. And so you can drive the ball to that location, and when you do that low to high, it's going to create that ro- that rotation of the ball, that top spin that allows you to hit hard and have the ball drop in. So you've got to have that top spin because the the ball needs to kind of dive when it gets over because it's going so fast. Yeah, and, and a really important thing that I, is, is part of what I just said there too is you know the proper swing motion with your arm, swinging low to high, paddle face closed a little bit, and your wrist back is is staying down. So. When you start your swing, wherever your body is, keeping it at that same height, a lot of people out there, what they do is they pop up. And what that does is it causes your, your paddle to come off the ball too soon, which will cause you to either, either hit it lower into the net or it's going to open up your paddle face and have you hit it out. But by staying at that same height as when you start your swing is one of the biggest secrets of it. Sometimes I feel like when I'm warming up, I'm relaxed. I can get that motion that you're talking about and I'm just hitting it back and, and, it, and it's just zinging right over the net. It's just a couple of inches over the net. But then when it becomes game time, I want to build in a little cushion i don't want to hot dog it or cowboy it i want to you know make sure that it gets over the net and that throws the whole thing off because then that's when they start sailing out when it becomes game time is there a way to keep that feeling do you have any mental preparation that you do just to to maintain that looseness for me it's just being excited and i tell myself before every point i tell myself this is just practice I really keep in my mind that this isn't a tournament. So when I play my best is when I'm having fun, and I just remember I'm out there to play the best I can. I try not to think that it's a tournament. I really keep that out of my mind, and that keeps me looser and just allows me to hit the shot that I know I can make. And that's part of what um, Jody alluded to last week was, you know, drilling. You really want to drill more than you play, and you can practice these shots. So you feel confident, and um, so when you get there in the, in the tournament, you know you can do it, and then you can and a lot of times people warm up with thinking. For me, I need to get back at the baseline and really drill that ball to loosen up and to make myself feel um, happy. And, and I remember Robert used to say, think of palm trees, think of palm trees. <laughs> <laughs> and I know Robert tells me, get under the ball. You know that ball that you're talking about when you rip it mm-hmm. and it stays in? He says, the best way to get under the ball is to bend your knees. So if you can bend them, great. And like he said, stay at the same level. If you bend two inches, stay two inches. If you bend eight inches, stay there through the entire stroke. And it becomes muscle memorization at that point of, of knowing when the ball hits you, how much you, you have to come up and how fast to come up to generate that right amount of topspin. And it's just practice, practice, and having that confidence. All right. Well, I think I have some practicing to do, that's for sure. I've got one more to add to that, Chris. Last week, you did mention that you are tempted to flick your wrist. Yeah, I always want to put a little extra. Instead of freezing, I want to just put a little extra flick. I try to tell people to try to keep a firm wrist and I I also hit with topspin too and a simple low to high roll the ball that's a topspin and so that if your shot breaks down it's easy to deconstruct and get that shot back if you don't have a wristy motion but once you start adding any sort of flicks or wristiness it's very hard to regain that shot 
So I would say firm wrist and topspin. A lot of people may add that wrist flick. You're actually not driving towards it and hitting the ball to spin straight towards your target that causes it to come down. And it'll actually create some side spin on the ball, which doesn't do you any good because the the rotation of the ball is not going to help it come in. So Linda's 100% correct with that. And it kind of takes your paddle off the ball a little bit, doesn't it? Which you kind of lose. It comes off faster. Yeah, and then you actually lose pace on the ball. And then if you're hitting it into the net, that could be one of the reasons why mm-hmm. because your wrist is um, not firm. So it's you're not only not doing yourself any good, you're actually doing yourself harm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we, yes. we teach firm wrists for every shot of the game and even like there's a lot of people that try that quick flicks over the net and everything and they think it's all wrists and everything and it's not. It's, it's the same motion. You, you're just changing you know, how fast you come up on the ball but it's still that same form that you have with the wrist back brushing up the back of the ball. Well, sometimes, yeah. too, you playing with these former racquetball players and these table tennis players that are just phenomenal, and they've got all this wrist stuff happening, and you and you get kind of sucked into that, and you think, man, you know, maybe that's what I'm missing. They've got so much power and control, it seems like. Maybe it's all in the wrist, and you start working that in, and boy, for me, it's just bad news. I think it works for the um, the racquetball players because they've been doing it for years and they have more control. And, and they, they have what, that timing. Yeah, they know what they're doing. The timing is huge. Yeah. But if you don't have that background, it's really probably not the best thing. Yeah, you're um, playing with I fire. Stay with a firm. That's funny because I was thinking the other day that uh, I needed to get one of those... Uh, like those ace bandages where you if you sprain your wrist it just immobilizes it i said i'm gonna need to, i need to buy one of those and just wear it you know the next time i play and just see how well you know, i play coach mo, coach mo has an apparatus that you can put on yeah, that keeps your wrist back oh it's amazing really? he showed it to me i thought it was hysterical yeah, something like that would be good. You guys mentioned warming up and drilling, and we've got a, uh, a listener question here that I wanted to get your take on. This is from Daria of Park City, Utah, and she asks, it's often hard to get people to warm up before playing. Is hitting against a backboard a viable alternative, and how often would you recommend using a backboard uh, as a skill developer? I wondered about that, too, because sometimes you think, am I developing bad habits just hitting against a backboard because the ball's not really coming back the way it would normally come back if you're playing against an actual opponent. Is that something that maybe you should use use sparingly or go for it and use it all you want? I think that if you don't have someone to practice, I think the best thing to do is find someone that has the same ambition as you to, to get better at the same level so you guys can develop together. But if you don't have someone to grow with, then I, I think it's a great idea. Like you said, the ball's a little different, but you can still develop the proper stroke motion and all that you need to do by using it. So I think it's a great idea if you, if you don't have anybody. The most important thing is getting out there and practicing. And if all you have is a wall, I think it's a great thing to do. Okay. And, you know, it's not a bad thing that you're hitting a ball that comes back not as fast as it would as someone you're hitting against because you ever get those loopy uh, serves Oh yeah. Uh, and you've got to generate your own power? That's a tough shot. Mm-hmm. So if you can control the ball against the wall, you know, and make sure that you draw a line that um, for a net that's high enough uh, and that you're not standing in the kitchen, you know, you don't want to be too close <laughs> to the wall. Right. But I, I think it's great control. And I really warmed up like that a few times in the Naples uh, tournament in the trial run for the U.S. Open. I just went out by myself and it was just nice and relaxing. 
and I just concentrated on firming up my wrist and, and hitting my shots. And, and you can actually see where you're hitting it, too. So you can see if you're saying that a yeah, nice shot a couple inches above the net because it's hitting the wall. You can actually really see it and focus on it. Now, you mentioned about going into the kitchen. You guys have a great video also about no man's land. It's actually a video that debunks a myth about no man's land. And uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. But I wanted to get you guys to explain it real quick. A lot of people think that anywhere behind the kitchen and into the baseline no man's land but unless you're a sprint runner you know you're not going to make it through there you're always going to hit the ball from you know the middle of that the middle of the court on your way to the kitchen line you know you're going to be split stepping working your way no matter what you do mm -hmm. so that's really not no man's land because everybody has to hit a couple balls there on their way to the kitchen so the no man's land is really the first four to five feet inside the baseline that's where you never ever no matter what want to be so a lot of people you know when they serve the ball and if there's a deep return to them they're hitting their the third shot from about four feet behind the baseline and they hit that and they come in and they and they split step two feet in from the baseline and the next ball's right at their feet and they lose the point. Yeah. So what you want to do is if you can't make it past that first four to five feet, then and, you, and someone hits you, you know, so you're hitting, you know, behind the baseline, then come up and split step at the baseline and the next shot, work your way in where you can make it past that first four to five feet where you don't want to be because it's easy for your opponents to hit the ball at your, right there at your feet, which makes it a difficult shot to get back in. Right. And like Robert said, we take shots from the mid middle of the court. You know, a lot of times you get stuck there for a shot or two. Mm -hmm. We drill like that crazy. I mean, when I first started hitting that shot, I must have hit, I don't know, 500 balls in the net. I thought I wanted to just shoot myself. <laughs> and then, um, then I started, you know, getting the feel for it. And, and now I can I make that shot much more often than that. Yeah, and when we do clinics, we have a drill on how to, how to really work at that because you, re you see very few people practicing from that area, yet every point when you're working your way and you're, you make shots there, so why not practice it? It almost seems like there's almost three positions that you can be in. You can either, and two of them, you've got a line right in front of your feet. Either be behind the baseline exactly. with a line in front of your feet, either be in the middle of that box or be right at the line, once again, with a line in front of your feet. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's kind of funny. When we play indoors, you know how sometimes they put those lines over the, uh, oh, the tennis God. court? Yeah. And when you're at the kitchen, you're actually like in a little box. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, good. I know. I'm going to stay in that box <laughs> if I can. And then there's times where there's extra lines where I'm actually start serving 10 feet behind where I'm supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> That's the biggest downside to playing indoors, the extra lines. Uh, I, I used to say that that was my, my one goal was to eventually one day be able to play on a pickleball court where those were the only lines on the court, uh, which finally happened. But uh, the best thing about indoors is that when you wake up in the morning and you're ready to play, you know you're actually going to play. Uh, yeah, that's true. The only difference to that is when you're in the villages, since it's over 200 courts and 20 miles long, you just kind of follow the rain clouds <laughs> and you always can find a court that has no rain on it. We actually hopped in our car once with friends and we played like maybe five minutes and then we had to jump in the car and ride down the road for another five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and the rain was chasing us all the way around. Pickleball storm lot. chasers. That's funny. Now, you mentioned uh, uh, having a drill in, the, in a clinic that you guys do, and I know that you're doing more and more clinics clinics around the country. Where are you guys going to be coming up soon? Um, we've got a local one um, coming up on uh, June 18th. It's in Jacksonville. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a great one in uh, Salem 
South Carolina at Kiwi Key. Coming up in September, you've got the uh, Pickleball Boot Camp. Uh, you guys are going to be here along with uh, Jennifer LaCour, Phil Bagley, and uh, Deb Harrison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be great. Up in Montreat, North Carolina, right near Black Mountain. So we'll look forward to welcoming you guys here to this area. I know a lot of people around here will be excited about it. And uh, I don't know how many hours it would be from the villages to Portland, Maine. I'm going to guess, what, 27 hours, something like that? Yeah, probably around there. We're from Massachusetts originally, and um, we thought we were going to be able to do the uh, tournament in Maine, but it looks like we we just can't make it. But we haven't been back in four years, so um, maybe next year. Yeah. Get up there, get some clam cakes and some lobster rolls and uh, enjoy. But uh, yeah, even if you could make it at this point, they are pretty much sold out. Uh, Linda Einsiedler is just doing such a great job and Rocky Clark and everybody up there in that Atlantic region. Linda, again, kudos to you. Nice job. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. Are you going to serve lobster? <laughs> oh, yeah. I have, a, I have my own lobster, lobster uh, grilled lobster recipe where I, I marinate the lobster in vodka, lemon and butter and then i grill it out on the grill and it's delicious all right that's it we're coming up now (laughs) (laughs) all right well i'll let you guys get to packing the rv because uh, you got a long road ahead of you but it sure was great talking with you last week and this week and uh if you want to learn more from robert and jody elliott you can go to both of their websites pickleballinstructions.com and also of course engagepickleball.com could i mention that we moved we bought some land we're just one minute out of the villages and um, please do we just put in two pickleball courts so we're really excited to give lessons and clinics we're golf cart accessible the people that we've had so far it's just we've just recently put these courts in uh, have really been enjoying themselves and we just wanted to let people know come from anywhere um, and we'll give you terrific lessons and um, we even might uh, throw in a movie or two if you end up staying over sounds good what's the best way to contact you for those lessons two things on engagepickleball.com we have our, our phone number there and also a contact form or you simply email robert or jody at engagepickleball.com perfect say hi to joshua and rachel and uh, tell them what a pleasure it was to meet them down in mobile and look forward to talking to you folks again thank you Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Linda. Thanks, Chris. You know, it seems like whenever I go to a tournament, I see plenty of people with their pickleball gear bag on one shoulder and a camera bag on the other shoulder. I think we have a lot of pickleball fanatics that are also great photographers. And we'd like to start showcasing your great pickleball photos here on the Pickleball Show. What we'd like to do is use your photo as the official podcast artwork. Each week, a different photo for the Pickleball Show. Now, make sure that you have all the rights and permissions to use that photo and people involved that they're okay with it and uh, send it to us. We'll take a look and we'll select the best and uh, feature them and also give you credit, of course, uh, as the official photographer for the photo artwork that week. Send your photo to mail at pickleballshow.com. That's mail at pickleballshow.com. I'm Chris Allen. This is the Pickleball Show. And until next week... Keep them low. 
The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.